Welcome to the Mead Podcast. I'm Tom, the founder of Gosnells. And I'm Will, the head brewer here at Gosnells. This is our podcast where we are going to be chatting about all things mead and booze. Uh, each week we take a, either a mead enthusiast or a mead maker and we sit them down to a bunch of questions about why they love mead. Uh, so yeah, so thanks to everyone who's spared some time for that, uh, from their busy schedules. I know everyone in the mead world is super busy at the moment. Yeah, and thanks everybody for their continued support over the last uh, God, couple of years now. So entering into the fourth season of the mead podcast. Fourth season. So thank you all for your support. And uh, Well, yeah, let's just get into it. Let's go. So guys, we're 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 back again, and we're we're joined by uh, two lovely guys from uh, Meridian Hive in Austin, Texas. Am I right? Correct. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, doing all right so far. Um, Is it really hot in Austin today? No, uh, not yet. Actually, we're having a fairly mild summer so far. It's been wet, so it basically it's been raining the last two and a half weeks, five out of seven days. So that's not typical. Uh, no, it's kind yeah. of a, a wet summer for us. Most of the time, it's nine months of hot. Uh, so normally that starts yeah. about May. The, the last week of April, early May, it starts to get up in the 90s Fahrenheit. So that's, that's hot for us. That's hot for me. Yeah, anyway. well, that's what starts for us. Yeah. yeah, well, it kind of, I, I realized that when I went back to Australia, like still 38 degrees wasn't hot for me. But then yesterday yeah, it was like yeah. 24 and I was like, cool, that's, yeah. that's, that's a real heat that is. I don't know yeah. what it is about. It's I think it's just the, the English uh, mentality. That Everyone likes to moan about weather here as well. So yeah. just, yeah. Where were moaning. you in Australia? Uh, just outside of Melbourne. So I got, I got, I had the beauty of like, you know, proper cold winters and, you know, above 40 degree summers, you know, four seasons, you know, one that makes you hate the other one. Yeah. Sorry, we just started talking about the weather, which is what I always like to talk about. But guys, do you want to introduce yourselves uh, and what you do for Meridian? And let's, let's start there. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, okay. Well, my name is Mike Simmons. Uh, uh, it's kind of the, 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 the product designer and the guy that came up, basically the, the, the idea generator of where this whole business arrived from. Casey and I uh, went to school a long time ago for engineering and we came back together after a couple of decades and I've uh, been working Ooh. on this project for a while. Awesome. Make yourself sound old when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, Mike is really the brain of, uh, of all Meridian Hive, uh, the products, the recipes, uh, not only that, the, you know, even the idea to, to bring the alcohol down uh, and things like that at a time when no one really was, was doing that. Uh, and my name's Casey Rivers. I was, uh, I think, in the round of uh, fools, friends, and family, I was the first fool to, uh, to put a check into the business uh, based on my relationship with Mike uh, back 100 years ago, it seems. And um, <laughs> so my position now, uh, after being an investor for a number of years, I've come on uh, starting in 2016. And I'm now essentially the CEO and the COO uh, at the present time. And uh, really uh, just look after not only the, the business vision and the strategy and uh, everything it takes to sort of get that expansion and that growth, but uh, now uh, as well operationally, how to build uh, the systems and, and all the production capacity and everything to, uh, to accomplish that. Oh, cool. So you said you, you were founded, what, 2016? Is that when you started? Or That's when I started. The company That's when you started. When, was the, when did the company start? Uh, well, what, what day does that start? The day that we signed the lease on the building? The day we got our first dollar? The day we <laughs> first it's the day the first so, idea comes into your head. 
<laughs> so, I mean, that rolls back a whole lot. I was a home brewer and all this stuff came. So I got into mead through the science side of things, not through the Renaissance fair culture side of things. Yeah. So yeah. that came from, I started home brewing, I guess in 2007. The business plan rolled around for about two years. We signed the lease of our current facility in like October of 12. Our first product was released about a year later in November of 13. And so we released, uh, the first release was just our, our draft products before we yeah, even yeah. released the higher, the higher ABV stuff. I like to call, you know, first, first year of real revenue was 2014. Sure, right. sure. I got you guys. You, you, I mean, you mainly work with sort of hydromels and lower ABV stuff. Like, do you want to just tell us about where that idea? I mean, so do we as well. So it's kind of interesting to hear your perspective on it. Yeah. About so like how you got to that and why? And yeah, also I'll tell you why we did it as well, if you like. Right. So uh, I'll roll it back a little bit to how I even got into mead. So I was uh, an avid home brewer, went kind of crazy, bought all the stuff, got to know all the beer styles. And in the beer judging certification program, and I think it's international now. You guys might have yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we are. So really yeah. And they got me to judge at a, a Houston competition, which is a quite large competition. And I didn't know anything about mead. And I started seeing, I started, there is where I discovered varietal honeys. Because I always thought like wildflower honey and clover, they weren't that much different. All honeys were kind of created the same. And once I had like a couple of different traditionals made out of blueberry honey, and I thought you would have the flavor of fruit in there, I was like, ah, that's kind of interesting. So I started down the path of making mead just as uh, when I saw the varietal honeys, that was like having a new base grain for me in yeah. beer making. I was like, yeah. now I have a huge wide variety. Of, what are all these? If that's the, the core constituent flavor of it, how does that change what the flavor profile is? So Started going down that path for a while. Went to the Major Cup in, in Colorado, won some awards with that. And I was like, okay, this is this is cool. The, the lower ABD state stuff came from my group of friends that would go to the pub and we would go to this general place. And uh, most of the guys were drinking craft beer and most of the women and one of the guys were drinking white wine and no one was really, really drinking cider there. So that bar closed down and we started going to another bar and they only at the time in 2012 cider wasn't really picking up so much in the u.s quite yet so there was 75 beer taps and two cider taps and no wine and my friends had had my mead before and since it's hot here all the time especially even at night we're still in the high 30 seats uh, a lot of times in the summertime and with it being hot they were like okay a there's only two options for non-beer and for whatever reason they don't want to drink beer or they couldn't drink beer and they said, can you make your mead, which tastes really good. I just can't drink it at the same pace everyone else is yeah. drinking beer at. And same thing with wine. It was a small glass. We couldn't go for a round at the same time. The guys were getting, everybody on the beer side was getting around and everybody on the wine side was getting around. It was all different. It wasn't a huge deal, but it was a noticeable thing. So they said, can you bring the ABV down and make it drink like cider? And I was like, no one's done that. Why has no one really done that? Let's go see if it's possible. And so I started making those products. And I said, this is equally as good as the cider is on the market. Why is no one doing this? We just started business doing this. And market research said, zilch, not, no information at all about who was drinking mead in 2012. There was no information. So <laughs> nice. we've been helping build that information about, about how acceptable is this to the general public. So for me, 
there was a more drinkable aspect about this that I wanted to, I said, well, honey's a very unique uh, fermented sugar because mostly it's barley, grapes, apples that are prim primarily the ones that people drink for the lower ABV stuff. And I said, well, honey's, everybody thinks that's weird. They're always expecting it to be super sweet. And I was like, yeah. no, understand how fermentation works, that it consumes the sugar. So there's no, there's, you don't necessarily have to have any residual sugar left in it after all. And I wanted to introduce honey to the general public as a as a sugar source for a fermented beverage that can easily replace anything that was on the market that was the goal yeah that's uh, so interesting especially just we've all been in that scenario too where we sat down and you know you, you you like i do it as well with fruit ciders i don't really like fruit ciders but i quite like beer and i find myself like i have three or four beers in the heat especially we're like i need something to wake me up a little bit I yeah so it's just a change of a little bit of so. sugar that's just going to get me back into you know, back into that jolly spirit instead of sort of, you know, lounging back in there and going, oh, I feel a bit bloated. And and that's where like sort of me filled that gap for me. I was like, that's exactly what I want in that little position there, you know, like. And so uh, what's kind of, talk me through your range, like what's what's your kind of, what are your core cans and, and what's the best seller? Do you have a best seller out of your range? Casey? Yeah, de definitely have a bestseller. It's our Blackberry. Uh, it sells probably two and a half to three X over everything else. Uh, oh, really? Coincidentally, really? our number two uh, seller, which we introduced probably in mass last year, is our variety mix pack. So similar to what you guys sell over here on the shelves, uh, so yeah. you get a Blackberry, a peach, a lemon, and a honey. And mm. um, you know, variety packs, the data doesn't lie. Everybody's variety packs are their number one seller. So uh, it's quickly gaining on, on BlackBerry. Uh, so those are our four core, and those are all going at 5%. And then we have two seasonals. We have a summer, spring, spring, summer seasonal, which is tropical, and uh, then, which is similar to your dry hopped. But uh, I don't know what you guys, if you guys back sweeten that one at all, but we choose to back sweeten ours with pineapple juice uh, instead of honey. Oh, nice. So yeah. but we dry hop it on citra hops. So it's got that really nice tropical you know, citrus aromas and things like that, which is really great. And then our uh, fall and winter seasonal happens to be Mike's favorite, which is cherry. Um, so that is, <laughs> oh, and he happens to be drinking it. So uh, so that one is out and people are even calling us uh, as, as recently as yesterday saying, hey, where can we get more cherry? So we tell them you can't get nice. that probably until nice. October and things like that. Uh, everybody wants all of our seasonals to be uh, year round, uh, of course, we used to have four seasonals, so we had eight SKUs, going, you know, five SKUs going at any one time. Um, and so that's always a challenge from a production and a business perspective. Yeah. And uh, yeah. in addition to that, we've just launched uh, recently earlier this year, our Skinny Bee line, which is another four SKUs. So and that comes in a, an eight pack variety pack. So now you're talking about a, a large number of SKUs. And from a business perspective, it's easier just to keep keep seasonals down. Yeah, that's yeah sure. And how's that skinny bee going? We, I mean, we're yet to experience hard seltzer over here in the same way that it, we, you know, they keep talking about how it's going to be massive here. Not convinced it's going to be as big as in the States, but um, obviously it's, it's huge there. So how's the, the mead aspect of that going down? Yeah, so um, you know, a little a little secret. Uh, skinny B is not seltzer, so we like to say it's what you drink when you graduate from drinking seltzer. Sure, sorry. Um, cool. Yeah. What's that? 
I won't, I won't insult you by calling it a heart outset. Sorry, <laughs> my bad. Not, not at all. Not at all. The reality is, from a business perspective, we are definitely going after after that drinker, right? And yeah. we are really looking for trends where, whether it's flavored water, whatever it is, some type of an alcohol drink, eventually the humans will tend to, to prefer to move towards real ingredients, real fruit, yeah, real honey, it. and yeah, things like that. And so... You know, we don't have natural flavors in ours. We don't uh, we don't ferment cane sugar. We don't, uh, you know, add artificial sweeteners in it. And and we think, well, we don't think, we know. We drank about 30, no less than 30 hard seltzers as we were coming up with the flavor profiles here as a company. And we just looked at each other and said, man, we can do better than this. We said, right, Mike? <laughs> now yep. go do something better than this, Mike. Yeah. Uh, so um, that was, uh, that was, really good for us to try and target that market uh and we've got some really good feedback on that we launched it uh, in anticipation we got uh, placed in uh, the top 150 premium hebs which is a well-known grocery chain down here in texas and uh, that launch was supposed to go in march and uh, they now have just now it got delayed and delayed and delayed and so it's just now launching so we don't really have good accurate sales data yet on it so to to be determined but uh we're all very bullish on it i mean it's it's, it's hot it's summertime it's four percent it's got a lot of good flavor uh we've been talking to some of our distributors we were meant to be a retail only play uh but uh everyone loves it that it does sort of hit that that uh, white claw or that seltzer yeah. category and trend but all of ours have nice color to it. And they're thinking, can you please put this in kegs? We can put this on draft and we can kill it. And so yeah. there are, which is just, you know, more more production fun uh, to deal with. So we think we'll be launching that in kegs probably within a couple of months. No, that's exciting. That's really nice. Yeah. yeah, no, I've tasted quite a few hard seltzers in my time as well. And I don't think I've found one where I actually went, oh yeah, I could, I could see myself drinking this. Yeah, there was a couple. There's on purpose. <sighs> Yeah, it's yeah, that's it, yeah. Right. I, under duress. I, yeah. I, I the ones I, here I don't that drink anything. But the ones uh, here that are not fermented that are made with a spirit and just um, spirit oh, and seltzer like water, like dash water or something. Yeah, but that's kind of very different. It's a different product, but they are the better ones. Yeah, but it, it tastes like vodka or it tastes like gin, and I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. familiar with that process. But anything that I've sort of grabbed in the hard seltzer seems just a little bit synthetic that yeah. I haven't really. Yeah, it's that. It's that artificial flavoring. Yeah. It um, is. Yeah, they have, yeah. you know, that's the categories over here. You've got you've got your hard seltzers, and then you've got your wine-based products, which nobody knows what to call them. And then you've got your ready-to-drink cocktails. And so, you know, like you look at AB and Bev, and they just call it Beyond Beer, and they throw their hard kombucha in there as well, and things like mm -hmm. that. So, you know, we we actually, you know, have we just call ourselves Skinny Bee or Meridian Hive. Because, I mean, no one asks what Mike's Hard Lemonade is. I don't know if you guys have that in the UK, but uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a wildly popular drink. And what's that made out of? I mean, you know, people people don't know. They go yeah. off and pick it up off the shelf. And, and so, um, you know, we happen to, have to use our alcohol base as, uh, as honey. So. so since we're already here, um, it's one of my things I wanted to talk to you about, because like the Skinny Beast sort of that premise and the idea of just playing around with a bit more lighter characteristics and a little bit more drier, I assume as well, going by the, by the calorie count and those sorts of things. Do you want to talk me a little bit through like how you, you know, sort of change that or how you work with that differently compared to your core range? 
So uh, Casey kind of put these these guidelines here, I'd say of hard bars of uh, sugar content and calorie content. And if you look at a 12 ounce can and you look at 4% ABV, well, about 78 calories are just the alcohol. So you can't yeah. really get much lighter than that. So I've got 25 calories to work with real fruit to try to get some flavor in there before I exceed it. Uh, a, it doesn't allow a whole lot, so it's going to be dry because uh, mm -hmm. I don't leave any residual sugar in those outside of what I add and, and replacement for that. So the, that that kind of brings down, okay, what flavor profiles am I gonna go with? Certain fruits don't taste good dry. Uh, specifically, strawberries are a good one. Strawberries taste great when sweet, you strip all the sugar out of that and it doesn't taste like the same animal. However, there are certain fruits that do taste still similar to its original sweet taste. It's got that background to it, raspberries, blueberries, uh, certain things, certain berries have a, a good context for it. So it's, it's selection of the right kind of berries uh, for that flavor profile that still tastes good dry, that I only can add a small amount. Ones that have pretty decent flavor, uh, color to it, really help a lot. So. I guess the base we use for our skinny bee would be blueberry, cranberry, grapefruit, and black currant would be the, the, the basis for all those. And, you know, we call them different names. They all have extra things added to it for a little bit of the extra carrot. Cranberry has a little bit of orange. The grapefruit has a little bit of rosemary into it. The black currant has a little bit of acai berry to it. So it's, a, it's to add some subtle nuance that doesn't make it a monodimensional, like just fruited thing. I want fruit and spice are always kind of a nice yeah. combo that you can get sweet yeah, and savory. Yeah. Sometimes you get, you know, other kinds of uh, just variations to it. So that's kind of where I had to go with picking those because even like the, the, a lot of them are still like, black currant's a strong flavor profile, also quite yeah, acidic. Yeah. And a small amount of it goes a long ways for color. And the fact is, since I don't add very much of it, it's not a super dominating flavor like it typically can be when you go extremely high fruit content on a mead. Uh, well, they'll just like be just so much acid in there that just like, oh my, it really needs to be sweet. And so this helped bring, let that dry character come out. And so I also kind of, dial our stuff in with different tannin and different acid additions because I want some things to be a little bit more tart, some to be a little bit more subtle, a little bit more rounded on it. So I, I purposely make them different categories. They're, they're not all the same kind of line. And I want to have a the variety pack, be truly variety, not only a flavor profiles, but also the mouthfeel that you get into it. Some of them are gonna, just going to appeal to different people. So if they're always, it's like listening to a song and hearing that one part, like I want to hear that one part again. Same thing with a variety pack. It's like, I like them all, but there's that one I really, really, yeah, really like. Yeah. And it's going to be different for everybody. And that's really the goal. Yeah, that's really cool. Mixing the, the fruit bases just to give you a little bit of complexity is a really cool way to approach that when you've got you know not much room to move. That really gives you some depth and some some ability to move things around and create different products. Like that, that's something that I never would have thought of. And I'm, I'm definitely uh Going to play around with uh, just building some nice bases using some some round skins and fruits and stuff like that. It's really cool. Um, can you talk to me a little and bit about how you run the fermentation differently? So I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah, or maybe just maybe just start with the production. Like, what does your production look like in terms of size and scale, and and what are, what are you up to? All right. Well, so before we get into that, I want to just correct Mike and say the market gave Mike these parameters. I just happen <laughs> to be the I just happen to be the messenger. And he left, he left two out, right? One 
it has to taste as delicious as the rest of his products that he makes. That's yeah. a given. That's a, that's a given. It yeah, has yeah. to have nice color, right? And so this is the this is the cranberry. Uh, whoop, there we go. So with yeah, cranberry, nice as Mike color. said, yeah, it's got uh, it's got hints of uh, orange zest in there as well. Just again to give it a little bit more complexity and and things like that. So. You know, it is it is difficult to well. I mean, I yeah, for me, it's easy to say these are the parameters. Now, yeah. Mike's in the back room, and it seems easy to me. But uh, no, I think it is difficult. Mike continues to to hit it out of the park. So, uh, I just wanted to kind of add that in there as well. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. When we are a, we are a a market driven company, we are a for profit business, and and we need to put out <laughs> products that uh, that people are buying. Yeah, I, I, and you know the hard seltzer, or the seltzer market is pretty well defined as you say it's all low calorie it's dry you know it's four percent it is what it yeah. is exactly and it's but uh, the seltzers are that way the uh rtd cocktails are that way everyone's sort of in that four to six and a half percent range um you cannot get six and a half percent alcohol and hit 100 calories it's just not possible no. uh, yeah, even though some people work. claim it on their cans i i, I question it yeah i've seen that yeah, too. we've seen some i've things. said you some yeah. stuff where it's four percent seltzers with with all this you know semi-sweet and it's still got 46 calories in a can i'm like that's are we doing this yeah because that was it cause we, we we're were looking at our cal- with, yeah for our non-out project uh for, for like a soft drink and we were like i'm not sure how this is working anyway how, how, how have they got less calories well about the same calories as as it's us really, yeah and four percent uh, alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. So somebody, somebody's lying there. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so so we, we digress a bit there. But um, from a production perspective, right now, we are, I guess, looking at the numbers for the first first five months of the year. We're probably on track for about thirty three to thirty six hundred barrels this year. Uh, I don't. You guys use barrels, Mike? You want to talk? Uh, what do you guys want to talk? Uh, it's rough. So a barrel is thirty-one gallons, and a hectoliter is twenty-six point four gallons. So yeah, so it's about it's about one hundred and fifty liters to a to a to a barrel, like one hundred and forty-nine. So don't, God, don't quote me. I'm forgetting that. Uh, this is yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I would call a barrel just slightly larger than a hectoliter. Uh, sure. Well, yeah. it's not slightly. It's like twenty percent more. Uh, but the. the on the, on that order, barrels are used for breweries, but we have we have to do weird stuff. I got we our taxes are like all the tanks are in hectoliters. Then we have to report taxes in gallons, and so things are packaged in gallons or packaged in barrels because that's how we have to do production in case equivalents for doing planning. So you got to swap back and forth between all these yeah. units all the time and all the yeah, spreads. Just asking for mistakes. Absolutely, crash things on Mars that way. Um, yeah, so, so around 100,000 100, gallons, um, 3,500 barrels, something like that. So um, de- decent sized production. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we run uh, with, uh, right now we have seven tanks that uh, can, can fluctuate uh, on the day between fermentation, blending tanks, or just process tanks. And then we have two 60 barrel bright tanks. So if you walk okay. into our facility from the front, you basically think you're at a white winery so all we use all white wine fermentation tanks and you walk in through the back door and you'll see the bright tanks as you would at a brewery so uh, we've recently uh, purchased and installed our can our own canning line uh, so that has been uh, yeah that's been a good uh, learning experience for the production crew uh, I think it took them about two or three runs to get it dialed in and now 
that's been uh, that's been a blessing to have that we can call our own shots in terms of timing if something doesn't go exactly right and get it on time you know you don't have to tell the mobile canner that uh, you know you can't make it today can you can you can they come in tomorrow and they say no we're booked for two months and, and yeah. so you're basically losing a production day or something like that so yeah. having that ownership and that flexibility has been great for us to to be able to do that yeah that's that's, yeah, that's are, really cool most of our batch sizes are about 55 hectoliters uh, that's how yeah okay and then you know you push it over to the bright tanks and the bright tanks hold that size batch that's a typical batch size for us though sure and and how are you running your fermentations as well are you just running mainly just all the way in primary and then just transferring it to bright or have you got like a bit of a weird system or you know you sort of i'd doing say it's a kind of a, i'd say it's kind of a weird system so all of our alcohol comes from honey uh yeah. we uh we use orange blossom honey exclusively um, so there's a whole, there's, I'm sure that's the question you'll probably have about our honey source. Uh, um, we'll, we'll come back around that, but we, we use orange blossom. Uh, we ferment that to dry and then we'll fine it and filter it over. So we just basically have a base of yeah. mm -hmm. ABV of a certain amount. And then we'll add all of our adjuncts as necessary to a final specific gravity. Then we use a cross flow filter that will filter it over to a bright tank from that point. So we do. We do a fair amount of, of filtration uh, mm -hmm. in our process steps that a lot of people say, yeah. And we do pump overs. I don't know if you're familiar, if you guys do those, basically it's a white wine technique to, you know, the home brewer level, when I was first starting this, everybody was trying to figure out how to make fermentation go fast. So it's a thing that brewers would think you're crazy for doing, and that's actually agitating uh, the batch during fermentation. A uh, part of that reason is to, uh, degas it before adding nutrients because we use a staggered nutrient addition. And if you don't degas it before you add nutrients, everybody is that's made a small batch in a carboy and has added any kind of nucleating agent to it, it turns into a volcano. It will yeah. also do that at 55 hectoliters, which is a big <laughs> mess, yeah. giant mess. So we were doing that, and you know, it's scaling up for a homebrew batch. I would take a little wand and a drill and just mix everything up very rigorously. I don't have really have that option on a, on a super tall tank that's you know quite wide. So I've got to use pumps to basically read, to do something about that. I, I've also found that by doing that action on a daily basis, honey has this weird thing. It's not a vegetable-based fermented sugar. So it I, I believe, and I don't have any scientific proof about this, but I think the carbonic acid, there's no buffering capacity to an acid being formed there that makes the pH plummet. By getting rid of that CO2, it seems to keep the pH from plummeting into, you know, typically you'll start at like 3.8, but you add the first nutrients, you might go to 4.0 pH, it'll start dropping. And if you don't do anything about it, we have seen our yeast drop to like 2.5 pH. And that's where you start getting angry yeast. You start yeah. getting hydrogen sulfide. And we found if you pump these things over and agitate it and get rid of that CO2 where it's coming out of a hose pretty vigorously, much more than you would actually see in a brewery, um, that it tends to keep that pH from, from going quite that far. It's still like 2.9, 2.8, which doesn't seem to make the yeast mad as long as you're yeah. you know, keeping up with it. And it goes at a regular lower pace. than that, you start to get a bit scared. Yeah, like, yeah. Are you, are you brewing high ABV? So you're talking about staggered, staggered nutrient additions. Are you doing like a, a higher um, ABV brew and then sort of 
liquoring back or is that you doing that for like a 5% down to dry? Uh, we did do six, seven and a half. We did 7% to dry using a staggered nutrient addition that I was using based off of how, how much nutrients were in good grapes from California. That was my baseline. I just did some research for that. I was like, okay, make sure there's a, that much nutrients yeah. in there. And we used a combination of uh, diamonding phosphate and Fermate O and Fermate K. Those are the three we use in, in, a, in a combination. And so that was my baseline. Now we're, we're, we're doing the, because we have two product lines and since all our alcohol is from the same source and it's done the same way, we do liquor down now. Sure. But that's only, we, we got to a certain point where we couldn't add any more tank capacity to our place and we started adding more SKUs and that was the only practical way to do it without yeah, it's been done for a very long time and it's it's a it's a proven method you know and it's yeah. it's one of those ones we we've talked about quite recently and it's one of those ones where it's it's more the more you play with it the more comfortable you become with it it seems a little bit scary and a little bit sort of wrong until you start playing around with it and you're like okay it's just a it's a normal process as much as anything else yeah and i mean i think those compromises as you scale up I and mean, we're going through a similar thing about uh our production as we look to scale it up there are, there are puts and takes right you have to make some compromises or just change it right because it's yeah. i mean even just scaling up from you know uh 10 hex to 100 hex is gonna change some of the profile of the t of, of the flavor of the mead so you can have to adjust that anyway so um yeah we've been having lots of conversations recently about yeah exactly we, 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 we use a lot of uh, adjuncts in primary fermentation which yeah. i quite quite enjoy and it, it adds a little bit of flair i think to to certain things and it's one of those ones that doesn't scale very well um which which is great uh it's just another challenge to get into but um it just yeah, it doesn't scale but yeah, um, yeah. i think so yeah for us it's been uh mike and i play off each other very well i wanted things to go very quickly i want things to be done you know uh the same every time i want them to be as cost effective as possible and mike says you can do anything you want but it's not going to always taste good so it is you know like we can do that that fast if you want if you want it to taste like crap and he knows you want to be in the day is, i can do it is the, yeah. the answer to that is no so we work together to say yeah. here's the goals here's the things that we need to improve and then you know mike may have to go back and run a couple of experiments or do some math or whatever and then we'll try it and the reality is we've done this because our building is small our ceilings are low our ability oh, yeah. to add capacity is limited. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, different issues from enough glycol to enough electricity, even to support the, the building. In fact, I think our canning line took like the last available amp amperage of, uh, of electricity that we have in the building and things like that. So we constantly push up against our constraints and so one of the things that we've done is going going to that that double strength batch and being able to get two batches for every batch of base also the fermentation yeah. as you know is the bottleneck it's the longest time the blending the mixing and, and the packaging are are quite short uh compared to that so you know from a manufacturing process perspective if we can if we just had a tank of base that was always full and we could just turn on the tap and just grab it. I mean, that would be sort of our ideal situation. So how, how long is your fermentation time? Uh, uh, we drop from, from start to finish is about 15 days. That's from, yeah. that's from honey to package. But yeah. fermentations. No. No, 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 no. That's from, from honey to ready to be oh, yeah. mixed into, a, into yeah, yeah. a product. Right. So and that's a double strength, right? 
Yeah, sure. Okay, is that the double strength? Oh, so your double strength, eleven day ferment, but then you it take you know we find it and yeah, you just find it. Yeah, all yeah. Of that. yeah, that makes a sense. So we we're on what about six or seven days for the five and a half? Yeah, so five and a half percent, I can do it about six days yeah, without so sort of compromising. Yeah, about half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, guys, which I mean, we could talk to you all day. We got we try and keep this to around forty minutes. So I've got a few more questions, and then we can uh, we can talk to you a bit more about the future and stuff. But. Uh, Talk to us about the honey you use. You mentioned you use orange blossom honey. What? Why? Why that one? We also use a lot of orange blossom honey here. It's a really. So we know why. Why we <laughs> well, use that? Why we know? Yeah, some <laughs> yeah. reasons so, why to use it. So, so of, all the, of all the varietal honeys, I found that to be the the best workhorse. It tasted the best. It worked with damn near everything you threw at it, fruit and spices. Otherwise, um, the price point for a varietal honey is probably the best one. It's probably the most available where we are. So I don't know if you know about Texas weather, but we have quite schizophrenic weather here because we're about 200 miles from the Gulf Coast. We get a lot of warm air that rolls up and we have a lot of cold air that rolls down from the plains. It doesn't always meet over the top of us. So we're not really known for fruit trees. It tends to be too brutal in the summer for, for summer. We don't get the kind of light, uh, the right light. So we don't, Texas, I'm Texas native, uh, we don't grow a lot of fruit trees and therefore that's the best to be the best kind of uh, honey really th that works out with the flavor profile. I didn't want to use a lot of wildflower here. So we were like, okay, well, Texas is a big state. It's almost as big as France. So it's a quite a big spread. So what's local, what's regional? So we decided our region it, it introduced us to Northern Mexico. So we found an apiary, uh, like a multi-generational apiary that can handle the, the volume of honey that we need. And it's a very consistent product and uh, partnered with those guys. And so that's, it was, we were already using orange blossom. We just found a, a, a closer source yeah. that can, can get us a, a much larger volume of it at one time. No, that's really yeah. nice to get it from this, you know, the same farm and, and just kind of yeah, maintain those relationships. That's a really cool, that's a really cool thing to do. Yeah, especially like, just having the one, the one, I would like. I, I do quite like using a variety of stuff, and even though we're using a lot of stuff in a small batch, we jump around. I still find myself coming back to, if not orange blossom, blossom honey in general. So anything that comes from like a, a fruit tree, fruit tree, yeah. And I just find them to be just always better fermented. Wildflower, as you said, can you can find some of the most incredible ones, but they're just so inconsistent. And that comes with a lot of tasting, a lot of time preparation about getting things in and working. And when you taste a little jar compared to when you order 150 kilos, it's a very different profile. So you can get all your little, uh, you know, tasting notes together and then you might as well just throw them out the window and, and start again once the honey yeah. arrives. But um, yeah, the blossom always stands up and, and same with us. We, we, our orange blossom is one of those, it's, it's a cheap variety, but still one of those special ones that we use for, yeah. for very specific things, especially if I'm running a, a traditional orange blossom traditionals are just a lot Great. of fun. They're yep. just, they're just really a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So that, you know, as you know, when you start putting things out um, and we, we are, I mean, our goal and our vision is to have, you know, introduce Meridian Hive to the masses. Like we, we don't want it to be this, uh, this weird thing, this mead thing. And people are, oh, I don't know if I'm going to try that. So, I mean, I mean, a lot of our strategy, of course, is taste, taste, taste. But also once people have it, it's got to be the same next time. It's got to be the same time after that. So, you know, using orange blossom versus wildflower is kind of a no brainer for us as those can go up and down 
and then, uh, you know, getting this partnership with this apiary, who I'm going to go see uh, at the end of next week as well. I'm going to drive oh. down to Monterey to go to go visit the family and, and have a good time with them as well. And so um, so that's that's really fun. That's, for me, that's a really great story as well. Yeah. Uh, and we, and we find it when when we do honey tastings, orange blossom is one of those ones that people can really get. It's, I don't know whether it's just because people know how oranges grow or the citric profile to it, but they can really like take that and go okay i actually understand this little part of this yeah. i see i see the orange blossom in the finished meat i see the orange itself in the honey and it just allows that story to roll through really quite well that's one of the things but, i like about orange blossom it is it is one of the honeys that that closely approximate the smell of the flower yeah. that it comes from orange blossom flower is a very pungent smell so if people smell it they got you know you have that that smell memory that a lot of people just you know smells give a lot of memories and so you'll they taste that honey. You go, ah, yes. This doesn't remind me so much about oranges, but man, the smell of the orange blossom—they've smelled it. They, it's very—it it clicks with them more so than any other honey, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so like we're getting towards the end, but so we we'll normally not, we normally finish on a bit of a forward-looking kind of uh, question. So, what are you excited about in Mead, and then what are you excited about for for your company Meridian Hive over the next sort of couple of years? What's what's getting you going? Mike, I'll let you handle that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I mean, for us, we've 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 never we we continue to have higher highs in terms of monthly revenue. We had our best year ever last year during the pandemic. Uh, some of the things that um, you know we've had to, as a business, make decisions uh, like we have stopped our steel program. Uh, are bottled, you know, 12, 13, 14% mead, which is probably, you know, more fun and uh, more exciting for Mike uh, to be able to pull, but we just simply don't have the room in our facility. So we reserve the right to uh, re restart that program once we have some more room uh, and have some more time available to get that done. Uh, right now, you know, we've got a couple of uh, distribution partnerships in play that could really just take us off uh, as well uh, into the next level of growth. So uh, we've got uh, some partnerships lined up. As I mentioned, we are bust. Our, our facility is bursting at the seams with equipment. We can't get really anything more out of it. So we're working on a partnership to, that could literally 10x our production capacity uh, awesome. within a couple of years. So just a lot of space, uh, a lot of tank capacity. And so that I'm really excited about that where we will no longer have to sort of hold back uh, sales and marketing dollars because there was a time when we just couldn't simply spend on sales and marketing because we couldn't keep up with uh, production if we did if we did such things. So those things we're uh, we're feeling good about. Uh, I think you know actually seeing these low ABV categories coming in, uh, lots of people doing fruits, uh, our variety packs. I mean, I just think we are in a sweet spot of the market. We are just in between canned wine. RTD cocktails and, and seltzers, and we're a better for you option. Uh, I think that that's that's great for the for the company. Um, and we yeah, like I said, we've never been better positioned than we are today. Yeah, no, that's, really that's, cool. that's really good to hear. It's really good to hear. Mike, Sorry. is that the same for you? Oh uh, yeah. So as as the stills kind of went away, that was just kind of my pet yeah. projects uh, on there for a while, and we just kind of ran out of space. There's, yeah. the, we have, we have yeah, to yeah. store the cans. We have to store the finished products. We have to have a warehouse outside of that. And once we got the canning line, I mean, like Casey said, our best, our best year was during COVID, 
but we had to take up our tasting room, but we had to make a decision. COVID shut down our tasting room because no one could go anywhere. And say, well, we have this, we have the last bit of space in our warehouse. It's uh, we were using mobile canners for a long time. And since all the brew pubs were selling out of their shops before COVID, the scheduling wasn't a problem. So as soon as that came on, we were like, oh yeah, can we do it this day? Let's move it a day. No problem. They were just trying to doing what they could. When all the pubs shut down, they had to get rid of those beer out of those tanks. So all of a sudden the mobile canners got completely locked up for months on end. And we we're like, we're screwed. We had a plan for this stuff and we can't get in there anymore. We had to make that decision. We got the canning line and now it's taken over that tasting room. Now we have all the accessories that go along with it, which are the <laughs> stacks of cans and the stacks of finished products. And we're trying to get the, the, the click rate of how many times we're canning a month up um, by buying this, we kind of have to keep that machine going more often and with this, the SKU. So it's more about getting the, the the wheels. To me, it was, from the beginning, this always seemed like a block of stone that I was trying to build a moving machine out of. You had to slowly chisel away and slowly replace the pieces of stone with pieces of metal while the machine was running. You know, and so it was like, <laughs> and catch the wheel and replace a part of it at a time. And so to me, it feels like we're refining that machine and slowly going away from a chiseling from stone to multi-parted faceted machine and and that it's still polishing. on the go and it's running faster every day so that's the that's kind of exciting for me and casey kind of puts it out in the perspective of like how the growth is going and what we're trying yeah. to grow it up to and we've just been stopped and there's only so many things you can do with a building until it takes quite a bit of money to move to a new facility and you know do you we have a couple of those feelers out of a couple different places and then trying to raise the grand scheme of money. You know, it's different than when you're first starting out, everybody has a bunch of, uh, you know, there's no, everything's pro forma and nothing's really real data yet. Well, you get 10 years, nine years into it. They're like, well, I got real data for 10 years. Like, well, everybody wants a safe bet. That's the whole thing. So we're still just working on the marketing and getting them in the marketing going. So all those things are the exciting things to me that still, it's a great feeling when you hand something to everybody. It's like, would you like to try our product? I don't like mead because they've had it at the Renaissance Fair and I've had a poor example. And they taste it and they go, wow, this is way better than I expected it to be. And that's like 95% of the people that when I give a taste to them, that's the reaction for people that hated it. Now, they may not immediately go buy it when you're doing a promo at a store, but man, if I change their idea on the fact that it, it can be something good that I've felt good about my original premise of bringing a honey based product to the market to let people who had no idea it was even a thing and let it become a thing. So those are the exciting things for me about the future. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's well, guys, great. thanks a lot for your time today. Really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, Thank no, you. it's been really interesting listening to all your news. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nice to uh, to to share the uh, the same struggles with people as well, and 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 making you know damn good products for a reason. So keep it up, guys. And, and when yeah, are you guys really going to make it across to? When are you guys going to make it across to visit us? Oh, so um, whenever I can. Yeah, I, I mean, we just had your trip to portugal uh, yeah i've just just had my holiday cancelled for for next week so that's good isn't that um whenever we can leave this island we will be out of here yeah um yeah, yeah and i'll definitely i love i mean i've been to austin um a 
couple of times and any excuse to get back would be much appreciated yeah there's there's some real music culture in there that yeah, i'm, I'm really to, to dive my head into barbecue beef to eat as well i, I don't think i'd be upset about that no. yeah if i actually i might try to get to london uh this i guess late april early may of next year for some music over there in oh, cool. camden uh, so we'll see if that happens. I'm going to wait list for tickets because I kind of missed the day for buying the tickets. And it's big festivals like that, especially after COVID, they're snapped up like that. So we'll see if that comes around. But that would be my next opportunity to get over there. Oh, you've I always, got, to, to always got a chair at the meadery. All right, great. I would definitely nice. stop by. Yeah, definitely, definitely let us know if you're in town. But thanks very much for your time. Oh, we'll we'll Cheers, guys. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yes, thank, thank you. you. See you. Thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that. So hit the subscribe and like button and follow us on all our social media. And we'll see you again next week. If you've got any questions or thoughts or just want to chat about mead and honey, then drop us an email to podcast at dawsons.co.uk. Or better still, jump on our Instagram. Ask us uh, any questions that you have and watch us scramble to try to find the answer and uh, we'd love to know what we talked about. Or if you want to see what I look like, you can head on the website at www.dawsons.co.uk. Thank you.